Today we're starting a new series called Restoring Hope, looking at the story of an Old Testament character called Nehemiah, whose story is recorded in a book of the same name. Nehemiah has just heard that the Jewish remnant that survived the exile are in great trouble and distress, that the city walls of Jerusalem are broken down and that its gates have been burned with fire. We pick this story up in verse 4 of Nehemiah chapter 1. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and let your eyes be open to the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed your commandments, decrees and the laws that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you amongst the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are the farthest horizon away, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but a sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed before the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favour in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you be back? It pleased the king to send me. Nehemiah was in Babylon when he heard about Jerusalem. God's people were scattered, feeble and humiliated. And as far as we know, Nehemiah has no resources in his pocket. He's just a cup bearer to the king, a highly trusted role, but not an important one. He's got no team, no money. He's just a lowly servant and he's 700 miles away from the place of need. What can one man do? The title of today's talk is Restoring 
hope in prayer. And we can all have hope that our prayers can be powerful in changing us and preparing the way for us to follow our call. As we heard a few weeks ago, hope is the active and patient anticipation of what God can do in the future. But how might this active hope work? How did Nehemiah's prayer make a difference? I think the first thing to notice is that Nehemiah's prayer, his praying, changed him. Mother Teresa of Calcutta once said, I used to believe that prayer changes things, but now I know that prayer changes us and we change things. It's so easy, isn't it, to imagine that the remedy to anything that's going wrong is actually somebody else's work. Nehemiah could have heard this news about Jerusalem and thought, oh, that's so sad. Or, yeah, somebody should go and do something about that. Or, I blame the king. The government should fix this. But instead, as Nehemiah drew close to God himself, he changed. And we see that in the prayer that he prays. He remembers who God is and the promises that God has made and the history of God's dealing with his people. He repents for his nation, for his family and for himself. He admits that they've done wrong and he asks for God to forgive them. And he comes to God and he asks for a change in the situation. And it's as if he activates his hope. Hope that God can act in this situation. And his praying changes him. His passion increases. Perhaps his patience grows. His understanding of what God might be calling him to do in this situation grew. Perhaps his sense of personal, personal responsibility increased. Did he hear God speak? Did he hear a plan or a strategy from God? Did he increase in hope? We don't actually know because all we have is the summary of what he prayed. But here are a few thoughts of some of the things that might have happened. First, I think Nehemiah got engaged in his prayer with his emotions. We live in a world that can be quite desensitized. We can passively watch the news and television and hear about terrible things happening and then just move on to the next thing. Because of social media, our response to things is often reduced just to scrolling through a feed and allocating a, a digital response. We hear a funny joke, so put a smiley in. Somebody's sick, ah, oh, sad face. Somebody is in need, praying hands icon, then quickly move on to the next video. But note the range of emotions that Nehemiah expresses as he responds to God. He's sad, he laments, he repents, he cries, he mourns, he confesses. Later when he speaks to the king, he's afraid. 
And perhaps we don't think of prayer as being like this, as being deeply emotional. But for Nehemiah it was. He is emotionally engaged with what he's praying for. Second, he invests his time. There's no doubt that Nehemiah was a, was a man of prayer. In chapter 1, we've heard his planned prayer. He set about time to pray. He dedicates himself to it. He's active. He's mourning. He's fasting. He's interceding. And we know that anything in life generally that changes us significantly usually takes time. Getting fit or learning a new skill, they don't happen in one go. The change happens because we do it over and over again, over time. Gradually, the activity changes us. Some people think that the word some days that Nehemiah prays for could mean six months. The Hebrew word is imim. Now, my Hebrew is a bit rusty, but elsewhere in the Old Testament, when that word is used, it's used to describe giants. So Nehemiah went giant with his prayer. He went big. Go giant or go home. What does it look like to pray giant amounts for something? To commit to praying for something, maybe for six months before any action is taken at all. And thirdly, I think Nehemiah must have been practical and organised in his prayer. How do you pray for the same thing, maybe every day for six months? We know there are ways to cultivate habits that stick. You tell others, you become accountable. Maybe you write it in your diary, you develop a routine. Perhaps Nehemiah prayed every day as he walked to work or in his lunch break or before he went to sleep. We know he's varied in how he prayed. Sometimes his prayers were simply his tears. He must have also written some things down because we have a, a record, a summary of his prayer. So maybe he kept a, a prayer diary. But what we do know is he gave himself to it with all of his emotions. He went giant with his time. He was varied. He was practical. He was organised. Now, I'm not Nehemiah, but 21 years ago, Amanda and I were living in Bishop Stortford, and we were called to move to York to start a new church. It wasn't G2, it was another church in York. And in the prayer meeting where my church in Bishop Stortford prayed for us to send us out, a lot of people had encouraging words and passages from the Bible and some prophecies for us. And there was a man visiting our church from Kenya. It was his first time in England. And the only place he'd been to is the airport and Bishop Stortford. And he was there at the prayer meeting and he had a prophecy for me. And his prophecy was a long one. It was in about, we are going to a city where we will rebuild ancient walls. He'd never, he didn't know anything about York and he'd never been to York. He was imagining it was like rebuilding city walls. Like Nehemiah, he didn't know that York was a place, a city with ancient walls. And then his prophecy went on and he said, St. Michael's bell will ring 
loud again. And he'd never heard of St. Michael the Belfry Church and the huge impact it had on our nation and on student ministry through David Watson. And his prophecy inspired me to prayer walk the city walls. And I did that every week for at least a year. And some of the things that were said in that prayer meeting that were written down inspired my daily prayers for what God was going to do in this city, even 21 years ago. I was emotionally engaged. I went giant. I got practical, varied and organized. Who knows? Maybe I was praying prayers that are going to be answered, even for you and for me in this season, years later. Nehemiah's prayer changed him, but it also made a difference to the task ahead. He's been praying, we read, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. And he said this, give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man, the king. In chapter two, we see the spontaneous prayer he prays when he's talking to the king. The king says to him, okay, what do you want? And some call these uh, arrow prayers. It's a, bit of a, it's a bit of a panic prayer. It's an emergency prayer. We wonder what he might pray in that moment, but it kind of doesn't matter because we've learned so much about prayer through Nehemiah. He's been pressing in for the long term. He's been praying regularly and planning and organizing himself to do it. And in this giant time of prayer, he's been finding out what God is doing and what God wants to do. I wonder what God had been doing through Nehemiah's prayers. Perhaps he'd been preparing the king for this moment to be receptive to receive a request from Nehemiah. Perhaps he was preparing people to be positive, to respond to Nehemiah's plan when it actually gets implemented in Jerusalem. Was he stirring up other people to the same passion? And we see something changes in him after he prays. He actually overcomes his fear. His way forward becomes clear to him. He asks for specific things. I need wood from the forest and I need a rite of passage and I need this and I need this. And he's given authority by the king because God is calling him to do it. Now I want you to notice one more thing as well, which is this. It's as if God has created a moment. A friend of mine calls these divine appointments. And in this story, the moment is when the king asks Nehemiah if something is wrong. It's the moment of transition from private prayer to public action. And it's also a scary moment. Nehemiah records it. He says, I was afraid. Even though he's been building up to this, he reaches a moment that God creates where he has to trust that God is at work and he has to take a step of faith to exercise hope in what God is doing. And when we have hope in prayer, 
Actually, it's hoping God, hoping Jesus. The lesson of the story is not if you pray enough, you can get what you want. The lesson is this. Put your hope in God and you can do it through prayer. No matter how difficult the situation might look, no matter how unlikely it might feel that could you change anything, it doesn't even matter if you don't know what the answer or the solution is or even what you need to ask God when you pray. Exercise hope. Discover what hope means. Discover Jesus. Discover life. And we can all have hope in Jesus that our prayers can be powerful in changing us and preparing the way for us to follow into the things that we are called to, whether that's as individuals, as families, or as a church. What does that look like for you today? Maybe your children are about to return to school, or you're returning to school, or an office, or perhaps the future of your job is uncertain. Maybe you're about to start university and you've no idea what that's going to look like. Or you're aware of needs of somebody near you, in your family, in your street, in your city, in this nation, in this world. What's the answer? The answer today we're learning is to express our hope in prayer to Jesus, to restore our hope in what God is doing, to allow ourselves to be emotionally connected, to pray giant amounts and to pray giant prayers, to get organized in our prayer, to be varied in how we pray, to be practical in how we pray. Why don't you join me as I pray a version of Nehemiah's prayer on behalf of us all. Let's pray. Lord, you are the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We confess our faults and we remember your promises. Let your ear be attentive to the prayers of your servants who delight in revering your name and give your servants success by granting us favour as we put our hope in you. Amen.